How you guys doing? I'm all right, you know. Happy freaking Friday, guys. I'm feeling great. Happy, happy Friday. How's everyone else doing? I'm doing fantastic. I think before we start, we need to um, start with a happy birthday, I think. Someone in the group is getting a little bit older. Hey. Uh, Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. So I want to give a a massive happy birthday to Shuwao. Wow. Happy wow. birthday to ya. Happy <laughs> birthday to ya. Happy birthday. How you feeling? And we know, and we know who will be getting a singing deal, a, a record deal anytime soon. Definitely. <laughs> one of the, that's probably one of the best and worst happy birthdays I've received. Well, I need some auto-tune, man. That's how all the artists are doing it nowadays. That's true. But you can edit this as well so you can auto-tune that. No, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Um, yeah, I turn, I, so this year I turned 29 years old. And I'm going to be very honest, right? Every year, I always enjoyed my birthday. And it was like a year milestone. But last year, when I went from 27 to 28, I don't know what it was. But I was thinking to 30 now. And I really had a couple of days where I was really down about it last year. Um, and that was the first birthday that I had felt like that. Even though I had a great party and stuff last year. But this time, uh, turning 29, I'm feeling super, super good. Um, and yeah, excited. Excited for the year. I was, I was ill for like a, a week or two. So I think that's also the fact that I feel so good now because I'm just happy to be healthy and uh, and grateful. So yeah, looking forward to another big year. And hopefully by the time I hit the big three zero, we're uh, global superstars with this podcast as well. As many other things, all of us. So yeah, thanks. Great. Back to this week's topic. So welcome to episode number 31. Wow, 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 wow. Massive, wow. right? Yeah, we're getting there, we're getting there. So you're here with myself, Olu, Shuwal, Pabilo, and Daniel. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about can you change a system from within? So last week, it was announced that Jay-Z has a multi-year deal with the NFL. So we're going to go into that. Do we feel like he can change a system? Is it right to try and change a system from within? or from the outside. And we're going to talk about our personal experiences of where we've seen systems that might have been corrupt or might have some something wrong with it, which we didn't agree with, and how we've approached sort of trying to change that system. And the book review will be taken by myself. So stay tuned and let's get started. So, our Jay-Z expert, P, tell us about this deal. What is the deal? Intel, you're Mr. Deal, Mr. Dealmaker. What is this deal, Intel? Like, like, like Dame Dash said, I'm still waiting on the details of the deal. So, <laughs> until he can properly speak on the deal, um, mm-hmm. he, needs to share, he needs to share a bit more as to what it actually entails. But maybe actually, Olu, for the for the for the listeners who are listening in who maybe not be aware of what yeah. what the deal was, do you mind just giving like a very short overview of it, and maybe also so the in, context as well? Yeah, so in, I can give the context. I can't really give like P mentioned the details of the deal. Um, so uh, a multi-year deal with Jay Z, Rock Nation, and the NFL, and within this deal is the deal allows sort of Rock Nation to control 
NFL's music and social justice programs. Um, so there's a partnership going to be multi, it's going to be a multi-year deal. I'm sure it entails quite a lot of money for Jay-Z, but no one has that particular detail. Um, just in regards to the announcement of the deal, there was a lot of backlash from the black Twitter, black people, black media, just in regards to Jay-Z's involvement with the NFL, especially after he had been one of the strong strong voices against the NFL, um, telling multiple artists not to perform during the Super Bowl, turning down a Super Bowl opportunity to perform, even having um, a verse in one of his songs saying, I said no to the Super Bowl, you don't need me, I don't need you, which was such a I think big... I think it was... I think it was is, is, you, is, is you need me, and we're gonna we're gonna post the lyric up afterwards, and we're gonna see who was right because I'm reading it right now from the Independent. Unless the Independent is nah, wrong, I'm telling you, <laughs> the Independent wrong, man. It's you yeah, need me. I don't need you. Okay. Fine, fine. Um, but yeah. so that was pretty much it, and that's sort of the background. A lot of people felt like he was sort of stabbing Colin Kaepernick in the back, um, just because he's been blackboard, and he's been a great supporter of the movement, and then to turn around and do this partnership with them. So what was you guys' first sort of reaction to the announcement when you first heard about it? First thing I said was, where's my deal? <laughs> <laughs> what, with the NFL? I told you before, where's where's my deal, full stop? But in, in regards with the NFL, would you have partnered with the NFL? No. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind people speculating speculating about a deal I've done. So I, was I just went, I went. I went back to what I was doing in my own life and said, "Okay, cool. Let me start working on my deals." But your deals are your, no, your deals are too small for people to be speculating. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Today they are. Or let's say, give us a few years. But um, now I, I think I think obviously we don't want to spend too much time uh, talking about something we don't really know hmm. too much about. Um, but I think I think ultimately this situation, I think you provide a great context, Olu. Time will tell. Time will tell. Actually, you know how um, beneficial, how much value that this partnership can 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 bring to the community, to the culture, um, and then and then we just go from there. So we see. So it's, it's time will tell, and we'll see. Uh, so Daniel, what do you think when you heard when you heard about the deal? Not a lot. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Um, I didn't think too much of it. I was I. I don't really follow NFL or sports. Um, NFL like that. So to me, it didn't mean a big, big, major deal. The only things that were highlighted to me were more of how he was perceived as cold blooded, especially with um the situation of Colin. Was it last year or the year before? And that was more negative towards Jay Z rather than any positive. And given what you said about how Rock Nation will be able to kind of help with the social activism, entertainment events, it almost seems as though the NFL are trying to plug in a gap by using a well-known established black person to almost mask over issues that they have within just to for him to save the face of them to appeal to black people. Mm. And I think that's... He's almost like a, like a scape, not a scapegoat in terms of he's... He's put in because he's done. He's been blamed because he's done something wrong. But all, the fact that they're using someone well established to put in place to kind of change the perception of what black people have of the NFL following the Colin story. Yeah, but do you feel like Jay Z could be used like that? 
I feel like he's he's bigger than that for the culture, and he's bigger than well, that. Just yeah, 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 uh, yes, yes, and no. Is. But we don't know the facts of the deal. We mm. don't know what you don't know if there any threats have been made. For example, I'm not saying they have, but you don't know. And of course, we all know at the end of the day, money talks. Mm-hmm. The thing is, the thing is, what I will say in the NFL circle, Jay Z is not as big as as we think he's big. It's not music anymore. No, but he's he's left music, guys. We can't we can't talk about Jay Z no, as an artist anymore. No, he's hit a billion. No, but what we had an episode a few yeah, in a that, few um, weeks ago about him being the first billionaire artist. So he's left that space. Yeah. Yes, I understand he's. His business, his pocket is not as big as NFL owners, but I still feel like he's big enough not to be used by the system, or be smart enough to not want to be used by the system. Because, like you mentioned, P, time will tell. Time will tell. And at the end of the day, if you if you know you're getting played, time will show. Like, okay, you took a deal which meant you were an employee. You didn't have any control. You didn't make any change. And that could impact a lot when it comes to his brand and his future endeavours. My view on the, on the announcement, actually, is when I, when I saw it, I genuinely thought Jay-Z is a, is a, is a genius um, because his, his track record in terms of the deals that he does, the moves that he makes, he's always consistently one, two, three, you can even say 10 steps ahead of, uh, Ten steps ahead of the general public. Like when he launched Tidal, for example, there's there was a lot of backlash about the prices. When he kind of left Rockefeller and the whole Dame Dash situation, people were saying, "Oh, you can't trust him." But in 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 if you look back at history, every move that he's done has always been for a bigger purpose, and he's gone on to do very very well from it. So I think for me, when I saw the deal, I thought, "A, he's a genius," because with all the noise and everything around it. Um, he's clearly seen an opportunity where he can drive change. In my personal opinion, is it's always better to have a voice at the table than be completely away from the table, especially after a period of when the issue or whatever the problem that's in the air, and in this case, it's about social injustice. If that problem's already been in the air for a while and people are aware of the problem now, then for that next step, it's better to have one of your guys at the table to express their opinion. And I think this is, a, this is the same in any walk of life, which we can discuss later on about um, if we've had similar scenarios in our lives. Um, but I always think personally having a voice at the table is better. And just with his track record and everything that he's proven, um, who better to be at a table where we know that there's injustices and there's other challenges? Um, and then who better to make the, make an opportunity out of it as well? And I think we, we mentioned the fact that they asked him to perform at a show, and he was like, "Like, nah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that type of person, um, and I don't need to work with you." The fact that they went back and came back to him with a partnership deal, I think that's a great negotiation tactic that I took away from it, where you don't necessarily need to take an offer on the table from someone who's bigger or whatever than you um, if that doesn't make sense for you and your values that you have um, and it's worked out well for him so mm-hmm. far of course we don't know the deals of the detail and we'll only see over the the course mm-hmm. of the next few years but based on his track record he always he, he's always making big moves and they've always had big results so I'm, I'm actually excited to see what happens so let's see and i think well just in regards to what you mentioned about his track record and this is sort of my my last point in regards to just the deal but I think based on his track record, he's he's earned the right to be given exactly. some time to to understand what because like we mentioned, we don't have the details of the deal. 
we are not able to see what he's got planned or what he's going to achieve in the future. We can't we can't look into the future yeah. right now. So based on his track record, I know I watched a documentary with uh, Meek Mill um, mm. and um, How was that, by Robert Crafton. Very quick sidebar. Is that documentary worth watching? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, I think four or five part documentary is really worth watching. Um, it follows Meek's story, but also ties into sort of the injustice okay. within the States. And Jay-Z was able to start an organization for criminal justice reform. And this is something that is not just about getting Meek Mill out, but changing and reforming a lot of the laws around sort of criminals and um and probation and how long people stay on probations etc so i think he's been afforded the right to to just wait and see and you know what we can mm-hmm. hold people accountable we can hold people accountable mm-hmm. based on the results that we see but before we can't just now say hey he's a sellout oh yeah like yeah even like some of the people saying oh he's a sellout you can ask the question, what have they done? <laughs> what have they done to try and change the system? Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of them are still watching NFL. A lot of them are still yeah. like, yeah, what are they doing to change the system? But someone that's shown that they've they put their money where their mouth is, they've shown they put their time and effort to sort of change and support the community, I think we can afford that person some time just to wait and see the results. Yeah. And I mean, before we start talking about maybe our personal experiences, maybe in a slightly similar light, one day, if all, not even if, when we all do some type of deal of some kind, if other people are talking about that deal, like we are talking about this and how other people are talking about the Jay-Z deal, mate, we are, we have made it. Can and and uh, Pabilo's going to be like, Dame Dash is going to be coming out saying, hey, you know, Olu, you know, back in the day, you know, Olu used to take my girls. <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Chester is ready to play. <laughs> He's still laughing. <laughs> By the way, this laugh is not on a loop. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. What ugly laugh? But I can tell you now, yeah. What did he say? He's ugly. No, I said what? What? I said wait. I said what? Ugly laugh. I said, I can tell you now, I'm not the dame of the group. Jeez, 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 jeez. I'm just letting you know. We're going to cut you out some deals, man. We're going to cut you out some deals. I think ultimately, with the Jay-Z deal, um, um, like myself, I think we all, I think we, we all, we all care. We all want to see um, great value come of it. I think what it is, it's such a complex situation and, and, given sort of what was happening with Colin Kaepernick and what Shaw mentioned, we we need so much more time. I think it's a topic that we wish we should discuss in the coming month or maybe years where we've actually seen um, something come of it. Exactly. Because I think it's just so much going on right now. To try and pick it apart is, is, is extremely difficult. But I think what we wanted to do, we wanted to use this topic as a way to uh, discuss amongst ourselves have there been situations in your in in a workplace or in a local community or in uh, membership groups where you haven't necessarily liked what you're seeing and you've either taken a decision to step away um or you've just taken a decision to, to sort of partner up with those inside to make some changes mm. so anyone wants to go first in terms of what experiences they've had in a similar situation to the NFL do. I mean, so one of the, one of the, one of the things I'll say um, 
about change, what I've learned in, in a couple of years of, of working in corporate is that there's no such thing as organizational change, it's only personal change. And so you look at the NFL deal, you look at situations that we look at. If in order to perhaps make real change, you need to really get rid of some of the people that are in that situation. So um, I mean I'm so thinking you got the best example. No, 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 I haven't I haven't I'm just talking from a wider business yeah, yeah. concept. It's not it's I haven't sacked anyone. Um, um, but yeah, that's that's really that's really how you how you can really enforce and encourage change. You have to change the people. Um, yeah, I think it's people and policies, right? People. Don't you feel like so? Because a lot of times, people's behavior is sometimes based on policies and um, incentive sort of uh, metrics. So. You find, especially when certain companies are being unethical or whatever, is because they're trying to reach a specific goal or reward where their bonus or commission might be based on. And then secondly, it's really by having policies in place. So if I talk about where I've seen a certain level of injustice, or I wouldn't even call it injustice, where I've seen a level of um, change needed in an organization, it will be in regards to the diversity metrics and yep. coming up, I struggled coming up as a, um, as a graduate, seeing that you were the only black person in the room, um, especially when it comes to a lot of your meetings with executives, you might be lucky to see another person of um, another minority in the room. So how did I sort of work on that is, partnering up with my our recruitment team to say okay what is our um what is our policy in regards to what is the minimum amount of people we need to acquire um hire for diversity uh, you you asked you said yeah you asked, we asked, you asked that question, question and and the good thing is g one thing that g because i remember i had a heated conversation with one of our um execs where we were talking about um, is it right to have metrics such as gender and race and diversity metrics? And I was like, hell yes. The reason you need that, especially in the entry level, is because I honestly believe that becoming a CEO or an executive is, yeah, part of it is based on your intellect at the initial stage, but a lot of it is based on your experience and the opportunity you were given. So if you were to get uh, a woman in or or a black person in a, at the beginning and you gave them the top roles, the most exposure, the best opportunities, when it's time to talk about a CEO and CFO, yes, now you can make the hiring decision based on just merit, but you've given that person enough opportunity. So when is that recruitment, op- um, recruitment pool? You have people of minority or different genders that you can actually hire. But sometimes you've got to be, if you call it bias or if you call it, um, you've got to set sort of stringent metrics at entry level. And when it comes to recruiting, just to ensure that when it comes to more executive roles, you have a more diverse group of people to select. Um, but the, but then I would counter that and say that there also needs to be metrics in middle management. Agreed, and agreed because you could get people in and then they can just be stuck in in the entry level. Yes. But I feel like the big thing about it is how do you ensure that there's metrics to 
force the organization or the system to change. Otherwise, there's not going to be any change. So this is one that I had a conversation but with and I voiced my concern. And even in sometimes when we're recruiting for interns or sometimes I might be a little bit um, biased, if you want to call it that. But So, have you, have, so, so you've got the unconscious, but have you done unconscious bias training? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. but, it, but when I'm saying that, I'm not obviously just selecting someone just because of their race. I obviously feel like, yes, they can make it, but sometimes I would articulate, hey, are you sure it's not because of this um, experience or are you sure that the reason why this person might look like they got more qualification is because this guy came from a single um, mother or father home and he's had to do X, Y, and Z, but still keep his grades high enough to still be here versus the other person which hasn't. So, yeah, Mm. I'm still making sure that it's someone that's capable of doing the job. I think think also... Um, so so maybe we, we probably got the same experience to to uh, mention, but I think um, from my side, the experience has been effectively trying to uh, further develop the mentoring program, which um, internship program, which we started on ourselves. And so one of the things I was thinking mm. about, it, it, it's, um, I mean, there certainly wasn't enough graduates on the campus uh, as we would have liked. I mean, there was there was hardly any, and and so. Actually, trying to impact change, if you've experienced it yourself, it's obviously a lot easier than if you're trying to change just because someone has given you that agenda. Uh, so I thought the experience that we've, we've had over the last six, seven years has been quite enjoyable because we can always relate every single year to that new intern coming in because I was once you a, a couple of years ago. So uh, it, makes, it makes life easier partnering up with, with HR, partnering up with senior managers, partnering up with the group CFO and saying, look, I'm bringing this opportunity to you to the table. Continue to run this because it has it brings so much value to the organisation. Um, so I think yeah. So it was it, it, that's probably an example where if you've lived through the the challenge itself, it becomes a lot easier to try and navigate that change in that in that situation. Yeah, I was I was going to use the the same example, P, about the um, trying to get our company to hire more interns because when we first joined. The first year that we were there back in 2012, there were only six interns. And they told us actually at the beginning that uh, you won't get hired in a permanent position because we only hire people post-MBA and you guys are not as experienced. So basically make the most of the summer. Then at the end, Pabila and I found ourselves in the position of getting offered a permanent position. And then once we would transition into a permanent position, I don't think we ever actually had the conversation of, oh, Nevada should hire more interns, but we both kind of worked towards that direction. And I think um, what Pabila mentioned, for example, about it's really down to individuals changing. And then Olu, you were saying about the process. And I think another third factor, which is important, is getting the right people to buy into the idea very early on. So Pabila and I were lucky that during our internship, we met very senior people and there were one or two who really connected with us. And these were the guys who were basically the uh, decision makers. And once they, I mean, helped and supported us get into a permanent position, they saw firsthand the value of having this internship program. And actually, maybe we don't need to hire everyone post MBA, but we can get people from the UK who have a very diverse background, where they grew up, etc., um, and make it a success. And since then, we've been fortunate that the senior people listened to us and they helped grow the program. And now we've had over 70 interns come through the doors of the company. Um, we've had a lot of them go on to stay and get professional uh, roles and transition into permanent. I think there's over 10 uh, interns who've been converted into permanent positions now. 
And that was really down to individual changes, Pabilo said. Oli, the processes, having this real structured internship again and again, year by year, hiring more and more interns. And also the people, because of the, having that sponsorship very high level and them knowing us on a personal basis, that really helped push through getting more interns every year. And if other people were in doubt about the program, then as long as a person at the top was saying, no, we're going to continue to do this, then it continues to grow. Which And I saw a lot of parallels with what Jay-Z is doing because with any type of deal or whatever change you're trying to make, if you can have it directly with the person who's leading that mm. organization, then the speed of change and impact of change can be significantly... Uh, yeah, because actually I was going to ask you, sure. sure. Yeah. I was going to say, let's say we ran this, there was a scenario whereby we wasn't actually getting as much traction as we would have liked with these interns. Would would you have decided mm. to have said, okay, I'm going to actually not partner up with with uh, with Harry or whoever is is in charge at the time, develop develop my own mm. program and go and try to then force it that way? That would- yeah, probably. I think that would have been the the better angle to uh, take. And like a slight segue, for example, the pupils to professionals. I remember the first time. I pitched this idea to someone in the company uh, who was working in HR. They told me, oh, sure, this is a nice idea, um, but it's not the right time because we've got restructurings going on. We have this going on. And I actually received, I think, three or four no's um, from different people until I eventually got to the fifth person who said yes. Um, And then that was something that, again, because I wasn't getting the support from the top of the organization, I kind of tried to implement in my mini way by bringing two kids that time. And then it eventually grew into something a lot bigger. But I think that also has a lot of parallels, P, with what you were saying. If if they turned around and said, actually, guys, you, you are a very lucky group. Uh, we're going to hire you two, but we're probably not going to do this program again. Then maybe we, I think we probably knowing how we are like, we would have found another way of trying to collaborate with someone somewhere to, yeah. to bring them in. Um, but fortunately for us, they, they listened and they bought into the concept very early. But yeah. But I think, I think to your point, it is a lot easier. Uh, and you said the speed of change is a lot faster if you're able to to partner up. If the, if that is, if, if there's, a, let's say that position or, or acceptance, we're, mm. we're open to listening, we can work together. Yeah. And I think actually that, that was probably something that would agree translates to all aspects of life. If you want to really do more and go further than what you initially thought, it's always better to partner up with other people. Um, so, yeah. But what if you, um, I guess, what would happen if you got, I think you might have mentioned a little, but if you got in and it was like, now nah, there's no appetite for change hmm. and you maybe see that whatever you're trying to change is a, is a losing battle. Do you, is it that when you walk away? I'm just trying to think just in regards to. I think, yeah. I think you have to seriously consider walking away and trying to, yeah. because, because the, the, the agenda doesn't change, but who you partner up with may, may change. Hmm. So, your initial thinking of okay, it's actually going to be I'm actually going to work with Novartis here and actually try and mm. do this. Are oh, you guys not interested? You know what? Let me go over the let me go over the bridge and go work with Rush. Maybe they maybe they're able to do this because at the end of the day, the people that are coming over from the UK they just want an opportunity. Yeah, Whether yeah, yeah. Novartis, Rush, or Syngenta or Bayer, they they really just said, okay, look, can I get an opportunity and potentially work and build my career? So mm. I think definitely there there would have been a serious um, thinking around. If this, if this was if this was our thing, if this was something that we we you have to think about walking away for sure. Mm-mm. Question, because P mentioning that that got me thinking. Um, how do you? Because the question I have is, how do you stay passionate about something? Yeah, because even when I connected to Jay Z, yeah, 
he's punished, mm. he's, uh, he's passionate in regards to his criminal reform. He's passionate in terms of justice, um, social justice. Um, how do you ensure that you are passionate about what you want to change? And how do you find that thing that you want to change versus getting trapped in the, you know what, I'm in a successful position, I'm making money, I'm accelerating my career. How do you ensure that you're always that sort of person that's trying to change and move the the pedestal versus just, oh, I just want to sort out my career, chase my dreams? I think think you have to have lived it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. 100%. If you're on the table with a bunch of, I don't know, 10, 12 different execs, if, if I haven't lived it, it's very difficult for me to articulate and, and come across as a very passionate individual about this mm. particular change. And actually what I find as well is if I'm trying to communicate change that I haven't lived, it will be done in a very formal uh, way which won't necessarily be felt. Because what, what, what other thing as well what happens is, um, let's say prior to the meeting, you're quite apprehensive about uh, explaining your vision. But really what you have to do is get in there and just roll your sleeves up and say, guys, this is it. I'm not here to, to, to articulate in a very formal way. This is what I've lived. This is how I feel. And this is what we need to start doing and change. So I find even the way that you pitch it is completely different. If you've lived it. I love, um, I love so that, I P. P. I love that, P. Because what you're saying is you need to be at that table. You can't have someone representing you that hasn't lived what you're passionate about or what needs to, be, what needs to change. Because they won't be able to relate. They won't understand what the, the problems, the challenges are, or be able to come up with a solution or brainstorm around a solution. They will just say, oh, hypothetically speaking, or I think these people think this way or feel this way. You need someone that's lived it. And that is, I think what you mentioned is truly, is really key. Actually, just to to build a little bit on a piece point with another recent experience that I had. Um, So I think I mentioned in a podcast episode a few few episodes back that for my next stage, at least in my uh, professional career, is I'm looking to move away from the finance function that I've been supporting in and move into a more business role. So that can be marketing, sales, strategy, whatever. So me transitioning into that, I realized going through that experience that as, a, as an organization, there's a lot of friction in the machine when people are trying to transition from mm. one function to another. And I think people of our generation are moving more towards having a multidisciplinary career where we're not going to stay in the same role for 20 25 years yeah. anymore i know for sure i won't and if i think if i look at my youngest brother i don't think he will or my middle brother as well so with that i realized that if we as an organization don't reduce this friction then we'll actually lose very good talent and i went through that experience of transitioning into the move and there being that friction and because i went through that and i felt the pain of that I mean, I was lucky that at the end, a conclusion, well, a very good conclusion was offered on the table. And that was purely because of the network that I have in a particular person that I met. But if I don't have the luxury of meeting that person, which many other people don't, then maybe I would have had a different view. And I think because I went through it, I'm very passionate about trying to fix this. And I shared this experience with um, a senior person within the organization that I work in. And that person actually relayed back to me like actually this is a common frustration i hear from a lot of younger people within the organization when i go to different countries around the world i hear this all the time so he kind of threw it back to me and he said okay actually do you mind talking to your peers that you know around the world like your network and see what's working well and what's not and then send it to me in the head of hr and we'll actually listen to it um so then again that 
because I've gone through the experience, I know what the pain points are. And because I'm really passionate about it, it helps drive the conversation like Pabilo saying. And because I've got the buy-in from a senior person, hopefully it can help move things in a in a different direction as well. And I, and I think I think I think actually the, the point here, because I'm I'm really sitting there reflecting, I think uh the takeaway certainly for me is drive change that you've also experienced and been a part of yourself. Because when you take if if you're successful in your journey, you're really starting to progress in terms of the number of people that are listening to what change you want to influence, it becomes more and more important as to how passionate and how influential you, you are. We've all been in situations where we've heard HR uh, or a town hall where the person is talking about change, they haven't lived it and we're sleeping. We're, we're switched off. Mm. And so it, it's something, it gets to a point where it becomes, you don't even listen to what's been said anymore. It's more about it's been felt. Um, so I... I it's, and another thing, I'd even make an argument, I don't know what you guys think about this, is that let's say on the topic of, let's say, diversity in male and female or diversity in also in, in the black and brown agenda, um, I would actually make a case that, that the executives, which for most corporations are largely um, um, white males, they, they need, they, they, don't, they wouldn't know what to do without someone like us on the table helping to understand, listen, we also have things that we can bring to the table in terms of talent, resources. Um, let me help you understand what uh, what our culture is about, because it's some we can't expect. So, one of the times I said to myself, I can't expect someone who hasn't lived in, let's say, my culture to try and help my culture until I can be in a position to explain to them this is what it's like, this is what we can do. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? <clears throat> yeah, you need people who've you, you need people that have kind of walked the journey, right? You have to, yeah. Definitely agree. I think I think uh, last just as it just popped into my head, the the, the female uh, talent and agenda is is significantly changing in our corporation for the better over the last few years, um, and I'm sure the change came from a female talent stepping up and saying, "Listen, you need to you know what is the agenda first, and what can I do to help actually influence change?" Mm-hmm. So we we it's we need to knock on the door because. If we don't, they're just talking amongst themselves and, and they don't really, it's, they haven't come from that family, that background. So it's difficult for them to relate. Exactly. Sure. No, I agree. Daniel, Daniel, what do you think? No, I completely agree with what, what you said, to be honest, especially when, when people try and make change what they haven't necessarily lived or experienced. It doesn't come across authentic. And uh, that that resonates deeply, yeah. especially when you're talking about town halls or fireside chats or whatever it may be. You can always see when someone's been very authentic talking from the heart or whether someone's talking from a script or a prep talk that they've had as to what they've been told to say. And sometimes you can just see right through it. Mm. And something that always stands out to me is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And mm. I think many leaders, not just leaders, but in general, people won't necessarily care about you or the outcome. Sometimes it's the, it's, it comes down to the point of, in a corporate world, managers have no choice but to deliver a message. And sometimes I don't believe in it, but they have no choice but to deliver it because it's coming from the top. And so, no, great, guys. I think it's been a, it's been a really great conversation, actually. Um, so, Oli, thanks for bringing up the, the topic of the Jay-Z deal and how he's trying to affect change. And I think we've all given great examples of our kind of mini parallel of what's going on in our lives or what we've experienced and how we've been trying to at least uh, impact change as well. So yeah, I think time will tell. As Pabilo said, let's look at the deal 
in a year, two years, three years. Um, but I think with Jay-Z's history and track record, uh, it should end up being a, a fantastic deal for everyone. So so on that, I think it's now time for the book review, which I'll be passing over to Olu. Uh, so Olu, go ahead. So for this week, I don't really have a book to review. Daniel. Um, I'm going to do something completely different. Daniel, um, Daniel normally, at this, stage, Daniel, normally at this stage, Daniel, you would have been already shouting at me about 20 times. <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, no. The thing is, uh, the reason I'm not shouting yet was because when you did this last time, and it was about potentially talking about discussing when they mm-hmm. see us. You know, I changed. My <laughs> so I, 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 I want to see what Ollie proposes to the table, brings to the table before I'm like, nah, nah, this is not going to run. Okay, I was just so, testing you guys to see what your reaction would be, and I'm proud of you guys. We're bonding well. I thought P would be sending by now, but you know, I'm proud of you guys. Um, no, so the book that I'm read, oh, that I read. Um, very short book. It's around 140 pages. Mm. Very big, big part. Go on, say what you want to say. <laughs> what do you? What do you say? What do you... Who, who would the, who would the book be suited to? It'll be suited for people. It's piece or book, <laughs> but for multiple reasons, not just because of the size of the book. I mean, it used to get to you, but you know what? I don't mind because if I'm, <laughs> if, if this, I tell you why, I tell you why because. If a joke if a joke can last this long, I think it, it says something about I don't know whatever. But anyways, if when I die, they're still talking about PV's hundred books. At least they're saying my name. You know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. No, but the name of the book is called Cells Revolution. It's by a chap called Neil McCoy Ward. Um. And I received this book after attending a training session. Um, so attending a training session with um, one of my business partners in regards to a new venture, property venture that we're doing. So the the guy that was holding the training session gave us this book, um, really just to understand the world of sales and give us a method on how we should go about presenting and trying to win new deals. So the reason why the book is short, and I like the fact that it's short, is it's really straight to the point. No flapping around, no... It doesn't give too many um, examples per se, um, but it's very basic and just straight to the point. So it's easy for you to take notes whilst reading it and just try to replicate the same method. So... um, that's why also I said, P, you would like this book because I know we all come from, or I come from a finance background, um, but you realize that anything you do in life involves an element of sales. If you're trying to uh, persuade a client or show some sort of financial results and tell a story re- regarding your results, you need to be able to present it and sell it in a certain way. Um, so the book covers a method where it's called sales revolution system. And the book breaks down what this means. And it really consists of three different elements. One, which it calls market. The second element, which it calls the solution. And then the third option, which it calls, it classes as the offer. So when you're putting the offer on the table and trying to win the deal. So I'm going to talk about each section quickly, not go into too much detail. Um, but sort of what each section entails and sort of what I learned or discovered. And I can say we've used 
me and my business partner use this method. We have like uh, a marketing bullshit. pack, which consists of all these different elements. So whenever we talk to any potential customers or new clients, we follow this particular um, strategy. So the first one in regards to the market, it talks about the pepper, um, preparation of um, when you're about to start a deal. And it says that so many times people don't spend enough time preparing before they have any sort of interview or presentation with a customer. And it's funny because I remember a manager of mine said, why is it that whenever you people do presentations or do any sort of work, you spend like 80, 90% of your time just crunching the numbers, crunching the data, and you spend 10% of time on what the person that you're presenting to is going to see, like the output. And he's like, you need to spend a lot of time on your output, the messaging and the preparation pre, um, before you present anything, because that's really key. So this talks about one, when you're having a meeting, confirming the appointment, researching the person that you're doing the deal with. So understand who they are, what previous deals they've done, why they're calling you, all these different informations around preparation. Then the next element is around building a bond. So it talks about a lot of times people do deals with people they trust. So when someone comes to you, they normally know that they need your services or what you're offering. So they're really trying to understand, are you someone that they trust? So it's how do you build a bond with uh, um, a, p- a potential customer? And it talks about sort of the brain and reptilian part of your brain, about like the flight, the fight and the feed sort of um, um, responsibilities. And it talks about how do you make sure that you don't trigger the wrong side of a person's brain and ensure that someone trusts you when it comes to um, a particular deal. Um, Then the next element and the last element within the market part is really the evaluation. So how do you go about um, collecting all the information you need prior to the meeting? So make sure prior to you talking to someone, and this is really important when you're doing a deal, are you talking to the decision maker? Like so many times you might be having a presentation or presented to someone and they're like, oh yeah, great. I'm going to have to speak to this person or this other person. And it dilutes your message. So it always asks you prior to you doing a presentation or talking to someone, confirming that that is the, the key person that can make the decision. So that's the market stage. The next stage is around the solution. So before you go into the solution, it tells you to unearth the problem. Why is the person coming to you? So a lot of times people just have a standard presentation and don't cater it or tailor it to the person that they're presenting to. So it starts by saying, can you unearth what the person's problems are? So why does the person want your um, service? Is it because of price? Is it because of service? Is it because of um, the inefficiency that they previously were getting, high maintenance? What is the reason they want to want your service? Then the next element is what they class as your debut. So you just pretty much present present your um, solution to the person. But obviously when you're presenting your solution, you're trying to to cater to the challenges in which they're facing. So always try to answer and provide solutions for the challenges. 
And then before you move on, and this part is one I really like, is regarding the feedback. So you ask your person, hey, based on all the information I've told you, would you take this deal? Like, and tell me why you would take this deal and why you wouldn't take this deal. Yeah. So at that time, you really want to get the why they would take the deal. You have like five, six bullet points. You get a pen and paper down with your customer and write the why. And then you have the why not. And then you don't move forward until you resolve the why not. Because a lot of times when it comes to sales, you just need to show the person that you're adding some sort of value, adding an element of value to them. And then last one, but I'm not going to go to too much of the details, is really around the offer. So you talk about the economics of the offer, you talk about the marketplace, and then you just try and um, sign a deal and get a deal with a customer. And when you get a deal with a customer, you try to show them what the different options are. So you say why your solution is better than their current state or any other competitors that you might have in the the industry. So that's pretty much the book, um, which I've been reading for the last week. It's a short book, but if you're someone that's moving into sales or is doing any sort of entrepreneurial business ventures where you need to interact with customers and um, clients, I would recommend just having this book as a, a reference, yeah, a reference in, t- in regards to how you should go about references. deals, what are the different stages, yeah. making sure that you don't really miss any steps um, because it allows you to convince or present yeah. your solution to the person. No, no, it's, it's um, no, very insightful. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to pick it up. One, one of the things that I've, in my own personal journey or perspective, yes. I think I've come to the realization that everything... Everybody is in sales. Some of the, you know, yep, completely um, agree. It, it, whether you're trying to, like, we're trying to sell our ideas to to our audience in terms of getting them to be continuously to be inspired. We're trying to, if I'm talking to Shaw about doing something in the future, I'm trying to sell him an idea as to why you should work with me. Um, if I'm talking to my wife about a plan for the weekend, I'm trying to sell her why this plan makes sense versus something else. So we are everybody. Every single person is in sales, and I think. What's fascinating is that we've only realized this, well, at least myself, um, in our later um, 20s. Um, And it's something that I think that we should start to learn a lot sooner because really what it is, is it's a way of influencing who you're speaking to, to get them to work with you on on whatever your your particular idea is. So, but when you say sales to the average person, they just say, oh, no, those are the guys that knock on your door and talk to you for hours and, and try and waste your time. It has this connotation, and I think I think it needs to be debunked. Um, and and no, for sure. No, it sounds like uh, yeah, and I fully fully agree with uh, with uh, with Peace Point. And I think the the sooner people realise that sell you're selling yourself every day, even when you just go to the coffee shop or whatever, very small yeah. things. Um, the sooner you realise that, and the sooner you try to develop that skill, the better. And that's why actually, Oli, I love I really love the sound of this book because it mm. uh, sounds like it's very actionable everything that they talk about and um it sounds like a very quick and effective read so i'm definitely going to order my copy as well yeah it's a easy quick read i don't say there's anything there where it's like oh this is a game changer in regards to um like a method but it just gives you a reference of what you should follow step by step so whenever you're going through any negotiations you know okay i'm going to start with all these multiple steps mm-hmm. and by you going through like the unearthing and the feedback you, you basically leave the person in a position where there's like, there's no reason for them not to sign the deal unless they 
there's sometimes obviously you get time wasters and people that had no intentions of <laughs> signing a deal or doing a deal with you no matter what. But when you get to that feedback section where you have the why and the why not, mm-hmm. if I've given you seven, eight reasons why and there's nothing on the why not, then there's no reason for you not to go ahead with the deal. So, And, and with reference to uh, um, planning or uh, presentations, remember the seven Ps. Prior proper presentation prevents piss poor performance. Oh, oh it's pulling out the course out the bag. He's always pulling these out of the bag. The thing is, Sorry, when, go ahead. well, the thing is, Oli, when you're mentioning about um, uh, like researching your audience, or if you're presenting to someone, you know, make sure you know like their deals that they're going on or whatever. It reminds me of us, um, a friend of mine a few weeks ago, and we've been talking about. He had an idea and he ran it by me, um, a clothing idea. I'm not going to divulge what it was because it's still being um, improved. But he said he wanted to go talk to the owner of um, Pretty Little Things. No, Boohoo, Pretty Little Things. I think they're owned owned by the same family. Okay. And and the owner, he lives in Manchester. And my friend, he doesn't live in Manchester. He lives um, South London. And he said he wanted to speak to him. So I said, oh, how are you going to go about doing that? He said, well, I'm going to go to Manchester. (laughs) I'm going to go to the gym he goes to. And I'm thinking... Well, this is a bit stalkerish. But anyway, I listened to him out. I he- I heard him out. And what he did, he's that like, he's very creative um in his mindset and he's done some crazy things that, in a positive way in terms of applying for internships and jobs at like the best um in, in the industry for what he does. And he said, Okay, he's gonna go to the gym and he's not gonna directly go up to him, but he's going to put his face on a piece of paper and then it's got a QR code which you then scan with your phone and then it will play something. So um, the owner has like this kind of pink background or something like yeah, a, yeah. almost like a, an emoji in his Instagram um, yeah. profile pic. So he did the same thing for himself. Yeah. He did the same thing, but for himself. So his face in the same kind of um, format and he placed it on a bench that he was going to, the owner was going to um, work out on. And then he obviously scanned the QR code and heard what he had to say. And, you know, this is something oh, that you don't man, necessarily think off the top yeah. of your head. So it's like very yeah. creative, very genius. And then he spoke to him, he got feedback from him, etc. And that's just a way of how you can tailor your approach to someone to actually get interest in, um, get interest from them rather than just the normal conventional way. Oh, can I speak to you for this? Can I have a meeting with you or whatever it may be? It's a very creative way. And I always tell him like the ideas he comes up with, Absolute yeah, that genius. is that is a dope story, Daniel. I love that. Um, all right, cool guys. So I think uh, that's a. This, it's been a great book review from from Olu, and I think it was great to hear everyone's uh, opinion and view on it. And I think the importance of sales as well. So maybe Olu, to to close, you can repeat the the name of the book and the author. Yeah, it's Sales Revolution by Neil McCoy Ward. Perfect. I'm literally ordering my copy as I type. Thank you for listening. This has been episode thirty one of Take Flight Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as per usual. As always, all feedback is welcome via our two channels, Instagram at TakeFlightPodcast or at Gmail, TakeFlightPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and speak to you next week. Take care. God bless. Peace. Peace. Take off, take-